0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. plus. how Talk
1: Live. Recorded? Live. Well, that was very nice. All right. Hello. Good evening, everybody. It's Tuesday, August 1st, 2017. And yeah, it's a hot one. And we are here tonight with Tom Hargreaves, who. Apparently, it has been uh, quite successful in helping people to eliminate um, a number of different kinds of debts, uh, including student loans, and but not limited to that, credit cards, and also medical bills. Uh, he's actually pretty good at uh, helping people deal with medical bills. And so, we are so glad to have him here. So, Tom... Why don't you, uh, I don't know, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and everything, and let's get into uh, how to eliminate some of these debts because more and more people are joining now. So it's okay. We, we got a growing audience here. Well,
2: uh, I graduated high school in 1975. 1976, I joined the United States Marine Corps, and where I, w- I just happened to have a talent that. Really made uh, my life in the Marine Corps a whole lot easier than it would have been had I not had that talent. And apparently, I did some did really good in uh, a test that they had in boot camp concerning Morse code. Uh, I, for some reason, I I gra- grasped it really quickly, and that's what got me involved in naval intelligence. I was I copied Chinese and Russian por- uh, Russian Morse code, uh, and uh, uh, did that for about six years and uh went back into the uh grocery industry for about 6 years and got bored with that and decided I wanted to uh uh drive a truck, see the see the country. So me and my brother bought a couple of semi trucks and went to work for Mayflower where we spent uh about uh 8 years hauling uh trade show stuff for Mayflower hauling for Nike and Nintendo and going to different trade shows throughout the country. And then uh, uh, I got tired of that, and I, got, I decided to get into the insurance industry and started that in the late uh, 1990s and uh, decided to add mortgages to our, the mix of the uh, life insurance products that we were selling, life insurance, uh, annuities, uh, mutual funds, and uh, started um, a uh, mortgage brokerage in the uh, late 1990s. I did that till about 2007, 2008, when the mortgage crisis hit. And back then, I had I had an office uh, in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, I had other agents working for me. And about that time, when this mortgage crisis hit, uh, we I couldn't give away a loan. Uh, I would go uh, look to fund a loan, get all the closing documents together, only to have the underwriter call and say, "Oh well, uh, world savings is not going to fund the loan because they they just filed bankruptcy, or such and such is not going to fund the loan because they just filed bankruptcy and so you had all these lenders filing bankruptcy where we you know at one one t- uh, point, I had about sixteen loans between me and my agents ready to close at one point, and out of those sixteen loans, we were able to close two of them." Uh, Ouch. Yeah, and so I went from making uh, about, on average, 150,000 a year to overnight being unemployed, and within months moving in with my parents.
0: Uh,
2: oh God! You know, I mean, it went that fast. Uh, it, it did. And then on top of that, uh, the two loans that I was able to close, I th- I closed through a satellite office uh, in California. And the guy that closed the loans for me absconded with my commissions. So, you know, it's it's like not only did I get stabbed in the back, but somebody twisted the knife, you know, deep. And so, uh, to try and reinvent myself, I decided I wanted to start helping those that were being foreclosed on by negotiating modifications and trying to help them. Because I had some major debt issues when I went from 150 thousand or so a year. Uh, I had two houses, I rented one of them out, uh, and then ended up losing that because, you know, the, going from 150000 a year to almost nothing, uh, you know, a, a lot's got to give up. Uh, but I ended up with credit card debt because uh, I had an office, I had two houses, um, you know, I had a pretty good-sized office, it was about 3,000 square feet. Uh, so when it went, it went quickly. Uh, right. Right. But- I had had used credit cards to, to, uh, you know, put furniture in that office. And so next thing I know, the credit cards are behind. And needless to say, out of that whole thing, I did not file bankruptcy at all. And I did not pay anything on those credit cards. I wiped them out just based on challenging them once they were passed on to a debt collector. Uh, Nobody filed any judgments against me concerning that debt. Uh, I probably had about eighty five thousand dollars worth of unsecured debt at that time uh, and within six months of my foreclosures uh, on two properties uh within six months, I had uh, the foreclosures off of my credit report uh just from the proper challenges uh and that's kind of what you know got me started in in uh, uh, you know credit repair and dealing with debt collectors, and it's you know gotten better and better ever since. now, uh, my main focus is foreclosures, people facing foreclosures. I've got some clients that came to me five years ago who are still in their house today, even after facing eviction. So if you know how to deal with these these predators is what they are, not creditors but predators. Um, it's organized crime. And if you know how to deal with it, it's, it's a matter of, of uh, playing poker. 99% of the time when they're attempting to collect a debt, it's all based on, uh, you know, um, bluffing. Just giving a bluff uh, because the alleged debtor, you know, has they, – they think that they borrowed money from somebody when they actually did not. As soon as they signed the credit card application – the alleged debt was distinguished or ex- extinguished. It was discharged. Um, but then, And then when they quit paying the original creditor, uh, the FDIC came in and paid uh, the, the credit card company or whoever money on the loss, as well as uh, having um, insurance on top of that. So on a, on a $10,000 credit card, the alleged bank most likely made thirty to forty thousand dollars. Um, so then I got to realizing that other uh, types of debt are no different than credit cards. Medical debt is the same way. If you ever go to the hospital and you get you get um, uh, treated and you sign anything, if you read it very closely, it is not anything where you're making any kind of contractor agreement with these guys. It's nothing more than permission to be treated. That's it. It doesn't say that you're going to pay this much back. It doesn't say that you're going to agree to be charged this or that. It is nothing more than an authorization to be treated by the hospital or doctor. Uh, And then when you don't pay, there's a reason that um, I have never seen uh, a medical uh, uh, lawsuit. Never. Never. I've been doing this for about eight years, and I've never seen any doctor or hospital file a lawsuit to recover the funds. It always gets passed on to a third-party debt collector. But the thing is, they don't sell the debt. They sell the debtor's public information so that the the debt collector then calls uh, or starts mailing the alleged debtor, trying to lead them to believe that this new third-party debt collector actually owns the debt. And has the right to it but they don't they did not buy the debt they bought your information that's it so once you understand how to deal with these guys it's pretty easy to get them to back off uh, one of my clients up in Portland just recently um, contacted me and about a couple weeks ago he had a third-party debt collector down in Arizona attempting to collect on a second mortgage where he he had been foreclosed on about four years ago and he lost the house. And some debt collector purchased the information from the second mortgage. They sent him a letter uh, and uh, I wrote a letter to respond to it. And they sent another letter with uh, some statements and just some miscellaneous BS trying to claim that, oh, well, this is evidence of the debt. And then I drafted a follow-up letter for him showing why it was not evidence and why they were violating uh, several areas of the Fair Debt Collection Practice Act as well as the Fair Credit Reporting Act because they they reported it on his credit. Well, once my second letter got to them, they responded back saying, we have ceased all collection efforts, uh, we realize we have no no standing to collect this debt, and we will be removing everything from your uh, credit report, and they did uh it 's all in how you respond to these guys and knowing what they can and cannot do uh, and once you understand the rules that they must follow and understand the fact that ninety percent of what they say is is just made up, you can sleep at night when these guys call and there 's other some other things that people don 't understand if you 've got a debt collector calling you on a cell phone that can be worth a lot of money to you because you can file suit for $500 and and collect anywhere from $500 to $1,500 per phone call. It's called the violation of the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. And the thing is, that act covers, even if that's the only phone you have is a cell phone, unless you have given them written express permission to contact you on a cell phone then it's illegal and i'm working with somebody right now who um is going out and getting their um uh cell phone bills so they can you know see all of the calls but he's got a debt collector calling him anywhere from from five to fifteen times every single day ouch uh, yes so it's not five hundred to fifteen hundred per day it's 500 to 1500 per phone call. That's the statute stu- statutory violation.
1: I'm going to be hitting uh, that guy up for a loan. <laughs> uh,
2: well, he already told me that if, 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 he, if through my efforts we recover anything and, and end up with a nice settlement, he's going to send me 10% or whatever is recovered. Um, and as near as I can figure, based on his calculations, these guys have called his cell phone about uh, 200 times. <laughs> so 200 times a thousand—that's 200,000—and you know, because it can be anywhere from 500 to 1,500 depending on the state that it's in and some other issues. But the other thing is, they can be liable for for um, punitive damages on top of that. So if you take it to court and you ask for a jury trial, not only can you get and recover all of the statutory issues. But then a jury that, you know, is, is, is many times favorable because most juries are full of, of uh, people that have had debt issues with themselves and dealings with debt collectors. And it's not, a, you know, it's not unusual to, to have a jury award several million dollars in a uh, TCPA case or even a fair debt collection practices act case. Uh, but you have to have your, your ducks in a row and uh, you know, it's, it's, you got to keep good records. And now um the other thing we've started doing is um there's a an app you can download to your cell phone so that if a call comes in you just push a button and your cell phone automatically records that call. So if you're in a state like Oregon which is a um uh, you know a one a one-sided state where only one person has to know the call's being recorded to do it, you can Just hit that button and record everything that that debt collector says. And when he says he's going to come and have your kids taken away unless you pay the debt or put you in jail unless you pay the debt, those are all violations. Um, I've got a bunch of recordings on uh, uh, one of my websites of debt collector calls. And some of the things that they say is absolutely horrendous. You know, I'm calling from the police department, and we are getting ready to issue a warrant for your arrest unless you immediately go and and uh, get a money order and, you know, <coughs> blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, people get so scared. It's not even funny. I was talking to a new client that um, I just, a uh, new foreclosure client that I got on Friday, and he was telling me about uh, a scam that he got caught on. He's 80 years old, him and his wife both are 80 years old, and they got a phone call from somebody saying, um, yeah, this is the such and such police department, a San Diego Police Department I think is what it was, and my clients live in Nevada, saying, we have arrested AJ, your grandson, and we need $2,000 uh, or $4,000 or something to bail him out. And they knew a lot of um, personal things about this grandson. And so they thought that it was real, and they instructed them to go down to uh, Western Union and wire $4,000 to this place in New Jersey, and they did. And then they got called back saying, oh, well, there's some new charges, and we need you to send another $2,000. Well, when it was all said and done, they got taken for about 6000 bucks. Ouch. It was a scam. And um, so, you know, he went and filed a complaint with the sheriff's department, but I told him to go down and, you know, talk to the FBI because it was most likely, you know, uh, international, uh, you know, uh, cross-state lines type of thing because uh, apparently the phone number that they were dealing with, uh, they were calling from San Diego to... Uh, Nevada, and they were having them wire stuff to New Jersey, so you got three different states involved, and that's, you know, that's a national issue. Um, But he lost the six grand and said that you know they they don't have, they really didn't have it to spare. But apparently, you know, his uh, their grandson, nothing happened to him. He he was never arrested, but they didn't find this out until about four or five days later because. The grandson was was uh, camping or something for a week, and wow. so apparently the the party that conned him, they knew a little bit about the background of this grandson, to where because apparently his name was Anthony James or something like that, but everybody in his family called him AJ. They nobody called him Anthony, and they these people knew this. Whoever called, they said, "Yeah, we've got AJ in, here in, in in jail and." You know, we need you to get some money so so we can bail him out. He's already scheduled to go talk to a judge, and I mean, it was just uh, you know a story. But when you're 80 years old, you know, it's easy to be convinced that something that it's real. Um, But he says he doesn't think he'll ever see the money again, which he probably won't. Uh, But that's that's how bad these people are, and it's not just debt collectors that are like that. It's a bunch of them they're just scum um but i like dealing with them because it's nice and sati- it's satisfying when i get a call from somebody saying hey tom they they said that they were ceasing collection efforts and they are you know wiping out the negatives on my credit report uh, like i said the most recent one was a second mortgage for i think eighty nine thousand um, dollars but anyway that's a b- bit of a background about me and and some of the things that i
1: do So I don't know, Tad, if you want to open it up to questions or what. Okay. Um, We can do that. Anybody has any questions or stories or anything they want information on, hit star 8 on your phone, and we'll call on you. And somebody in California has just raised their hand. A couple people, actually. Okay, California, your phone just unmuted. Go ahead. Is that me? Yes.
3: Oh, good. Um, uh, is he going to speak about um, student loans?
2: Well, what do you what would you like to know about student loans? Um, student loans are no different than any other loan. The government would like you to believe that they loaned you the money when, in fact, they didn't. They created the money off of your signature. It's just like uh, a car loan or a, a, mortgage, a mortgage loan. Right.
3: So how uh, does one go about uh, extricating themselves from that then? Well,
2: it's a process. Um, the first thing is to respond to any of the uh, servicers because the, um, the party that you sign the, the note with almost never will attempt to collect. They always pass it on to some ser- servicer. They call them a servicer, just like a mortgage servicer that takes over a loan that's in default. Uh, It's not actually a a servicer. Under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act and the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, as well as, I believe, the Ninth Circuit Court, they identify a mortgage servicer as a debt collector if they take over a loan that's in default. Uh, And that's what – but they'll say, oh, no, we're we're just a servicer. We've just been, you know, transferred the servicing rights. Well, if you call most of these servicers of um, mortgages after hours, you will get a recording that says, oh, you have reached Ceteris. We are a debt collector. Anything you say will be used against you to collect the debt, blah, blah, blah. Same thing with these servicers that service um, past due student loans. They're nothing more than debt collectors. And you have rights under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act to challenge those. Uh, Now, they may be GSEs like uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac where they're government-sponsored entities, but they're still privately-owned entities. They're not part of the government. And the government never loaned you any money. What they did was they uh, are... are, uh, uh, guaranteeing the money or guaranteeing that the somebody gets paid. But the same it's the same premise. So it's all about sending validation letters and um being able to know what to say and how to say it and understand when these people are bluffing and when they're not.
3: So how do you get reasons, that information to
2: Well know I mean what have you say. have you gotten any um uh any letters demanding well,
3: payment actually, yet? Actually, I don't have a student loan, but I know people that do. So okay. I'm actually asking this on their behalf.
2: Oh, okay. Um, well, there's not much you can do until they start collection efforts. I see. Um, you know, and what they'll do is they'll just keep adding interest if it's a 3% interest um, student loan. And this is one reason that they, that when initially when you go to Sally Mae, um, or one of these other entities to apply for a student loan. One of the reasons they don't have you make payments is so that it builds up. So as soon as you get the payments that go to, the, to your school or whatever to pay for your, your term or your books or whatever, they don't ask for payments. Um, I know people that have gone to school, spent four years in school with, with nothing but student loans, Gotten it up to like a hundred thousand dollars. They've never ever been asked for a payment. And but the thing is, it's not like you know, it, uh, it just sits there at the same balance that you allegedly borrowed. They're charging three percent per year every from from the start all the way on. So one of the reasons that they wait so long to charge people is thinking, oh well, this guy. Went to school, got a degree as a doctor. Now all of a sudden, he's making, you know, half a million dollars a year as a doctor. And um, this bill, this alleged student loan debt, has gone from a hundred thousand uh, now to uh, six hundred thousand. So now let's start collecting on that. Uh, it's a scam. It's an absolute scam, just like any other banking. Uh, same thing with a credit with a credit card. You're not loaning any money from the bank what they're doing is they're selling your signature and monetizing it. So right. basically so, you're the you, one funding it.
3: But if you want to get out from under and you don't want to be hounded, how do you um cut the cut the tie?
2: Well, you have to you have to re- have someone to respond to.
3: Uh-huh.
2: You know, it and and you just wait until they pass it on to a, a servicer to start uh-huh. sending uh, collection efforts, then you send them a debt validation letter. And follow-up letters. Sometimes one letter is not going to do it. You need to uh, do a couple of follow-up letters.
3: Is there a way I, to get a sample of that kind of letter?
2: Well, we've got a coaching program that we've got samples of of those.
3: Uh huh.
2: And it, you'd have to discuss that with with Tad. I see. Um, but I've got I've got template letters um, concerning how to deal with uh, credit card debt, how to deal with uh, medical debt, how to deal with an auto loan debt, how to deal with, Uh, These are things that i put together over the last eight or nine years myself, uh, utilizing what works and what doesn't work. Uh And when I started eight or nine years ago, I was using template letters that I found on the Internet and finding that they didn't work real well. So after studying uh, things like the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, and other laws, I put together my own uh, letters. Uh, and then in some cases, when those don't work, they need to be personalized a little bit to get the other party that's getting these things to understand they're not dealing with just some you know, some idiot uh, or some senior citizen that uh, is being intimidated. They're dealing with somebody that has some understanding of the law. And like I said, it's a matter of, of bluffing them 90% of the time into giving up. Because they want the the low hanging fruit, they want to go after the person that doesn't give them any lip, doesn't give them any questions, uh, and and is you know is scared to death because they think that they're going to actually be arrested if they don't pay the debt. Those are the people they go after. Ninety three percent of all unsecured debt, uh, um, I mean ninety three percent of all lawsuits that are filed concerning unsecured debt, and that would be uh you know just a, a signature loan a credit card loan medical debt et cetera. 93% is won by default because the debtor never shows up in court or never even responds to the complaint that's filed in court so they win by default judgment uh but the other 7% that challenge the debt and ask for hey i want you to show me a you know a signed agreement that i have with your uh you know your client they never show one because there isn't one like for instance there's when you when you sign uh you sign up for a credit card you go to the bank or you get online and you fill out an application that's it it's not an agreement it's an application once you fill out that application whether it's at the bank or online you'll get the prompt to say okay we'll get back to you you should receive your credit card application in—I mean, your credit card in the mail, along with your agreement. Okay, and they send you the credit card, and then they've got an agreement in there. Well, the agreement is nothing more than a generic agreement with no signatures, nothing that you signed, nothing that they signed. So when you go to challenge it in court and you ask for some kind of an agreement that gave that that puts you uh, under their thumb. It doesn't exist. In fact, I, I had a friend of mine that helped. He had a medical debt, and he had a debt collector, uh, an attorney for a debt collector, show up in court. And I told him to do three things. I said, first of all, you want to ask for something in writing that you signed, claiming, uh, uh, stating that you would pay this this alleged debt, and they couldn't produce it. And I said, well, the next thing, anything that that attorney says. Um, you object to his hearsay. And so the attorney opened his mouth and said, we're here because uh, such and such had had some medical uh, procedure uh, at such and such hospital, and he's failed to to pay. He defaulted on the agreement, and blah, blah, blah. And my guy stood up and said, Your Honor, I object. Hearsay. Counsel has no firsthand knowledge of the events at hand. And so basically, if you don't object to stuff like that, the judge is not only not only can but will consider to, consider everything out of that debt collectors uh, or debt collector uh, attorney as fact even if it's a, an absolute 100% lie and then the third thing I told him I said don't answer any questions respond with I don't recall or I don't remember well he said after this is all he, he was scared to death because the judge started yelling at him he asked he says uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a um a personal trainer for me for about six years six months when I was working out with him um but oh, his name was Randy Jones, so he said mr jones um is this is it isn't it true that this is your debt and you had these medical procedures' he says, I don't recall he says, sir, I need a yes or no answer he
4: says,
2: I don't remember it was five years ago. I don't remember, so he stuck to his guns like I told him. And the judge said, well, Mr. Jones, I believe that this was your debt. I believe that you did get these medical services. But because of a lack of evidence on behalf of the plaintiff, I'm going to have to rule in your favor. So you could tell, he said you could tell that the judge knew who he wanted to win. (laughs) He already decided the winner of that case, but because of what I showed him how to do and how to respond, the judge couldn't get his buddy, the banker, uh, because you know that's they're all together. He couldn't get him to win, and so he ended up having to award him one hundred and forty some thousand I mean, one hundred and forty-one dollars uh, to reimburse him for court costs. <laughs> and he said that uh, that the attorney for the debt collector was just pissed. <laughs> You know, but the thing is, if you know how to challenge this stuff, they 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 don't have anything on you, because they don't have any evidence. They never have any evidence. All they have is an application.
1: All right. So does that answer your question?
3: Yeah, that's pretty good.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah, sure I'll
3: have more questions. A lot, you know. I mean, right. But that's yeah.
2: But basically, a promissory note is a promise to pay. And what happens with these guys with a promissory note for a mortgage or a promissory note for for a uh, student loan, is they're selling.
3: Yeah, I understand the that. The
2: signature. It's, right. Um, so it's there's no agreement to pay. It's all um, apply, implied.
3: So in other words, you're applying for a loan, and then you yeah. get the loan, but you haven't signed a note to, pre- to pay.
2: No no what it is a promissory note is actually a deposit that they deposit into their bank but as I understand an asset.
3: that part, but I'm just saying you say yeah. there's no there's no um promise to pay no so in other words when it's you-
2: already been paid once you sign that document right but See, like like with a mortgage, a mortgage is nothing more than a deposit. I mean, a promissory note for a mortgage is nothing more than a deposit. An
3: asset to the bank.
2: Yeah, they lead you to believe that they're loaning you money that's in their vault. Well, it's, it's against the law to for a bank to lend credit. It even says so in the Federal Reserve Act. So basically what they're doing is they're lending you your credit. They're taking it as an asset. And instead of transferring, I mean, uh, giving you a deposit slip for depositing your asset with them, they're taking it, exchanging it for a, another check that pays off the previous loan, and it never goes to you. You know, and they really always... make
3: out if you pay it back, because then yeah. they get paid double for...
2: Well, yeah. Not only that, but... We've we've found situations where they sold the note multiple times. So, so they don't just sell it to you right. and get paid. They sell it multiple times. So on a hundred thousand dollar mortgage, they probably make uh, three to four million bucks when it's all said and done. Because oh. they leverage, they they securitize that debt and they leverage it.
3: Do you know uh, about um, Do you know about GMEI? No. Uh you could Google GMEI utility. And then you put your social security number in there and then you see uh how many people are using it, uh how many uh agencies are using your social security number. Oh really? Mine mine was I think two hundred and ten. My four year old granddaughter, her social security number had garnered seven hundred and ninety uses in four years.
2: That is one hundred percent illegal because your social security is supposed to be private,
3: I know, but see yeah. they talk about about um you know identity theft, well, it's been yeah. going on and now and now it's whatever happens up top filters down and now it's filtered down to everybody knows about oh identity theft right but this is this this GMI, GMEI utility is incredible, uh, and you just put your yeah, I'm face. on the
2: page right now. Yeah, um, I'll have to spend some time on it.
3: Yeah, I'd like to know more because about if it. Because if
2: you can, sh- if you can show that other other companies are benefiting from your social security number, hang on a second. Where
1: where on the page do you put the the number? Well,
3: it, there's a little um, there's a little uh, search my um, um, like
2: a hourglass type of uh, thing. Not an hourglass. Bank. It's
3: a um, it's,
2: a, it's a magnifying glass. A
3: magnifying glass. You click on the magnifying glass and put your social security number in. I'll see how, Do you
2: put the dashes in?
3: Uh yeah, I think so. Let me try it.
2: This is the first time I heard about this.
3: Yeah, I know. Um I got through the grapevine. <clears throat> so yeah, nothing, yeah, you put your comes dashes up for in.
1: Me. And okay. I got a total uh, of two hundred and twelve. Two hundred
3: and twelve and, you know, if you click on any one of them, so I'm going to click on the first one that says Quebec, Canada, There uh-huh. is, is the location. And, and if you click on it, you get more information. But the name is an address. It's like you can't get the name of the company. There's no way that you could figure out how to contact these people. Uh-huh. Um, And then, like, oh, I have to pull it well, up. Well,
1: I disagree with this because that. It doesn't state that that is a search for that. And the numbers that are coming up, there's numbers that are similar to the social, but not quite. They're just numbers that have the same kind of numbers from the social, but it's not complete.
3: What do you mean, same kind of numbers? I put my Social Security number in.
1: Right, well, this one has... But the Social Security number
2: doesn't come up when you click on these things.
3: Yes, it does.
2: Uh Uh-uh.
3: You look up at the top, it says, There's my Social Security number. Oh, it's not in the thing, but it's re- it's connected to my Social Security number. You put my sons in, and he gets a whole huh. other list. And I put my granddaughters in, and he gets a whole other list. And I have 212 people listed. And okay, the legal name here on, on my first one is 9133-3682 Quebec Incorporated, City, Quebec, Country, Canada. Validation sources fully corroborated. Huh. Registration status Lapse, Entity status active. And if I click on, and then there's a number under the LEI. If I click on that, it opens up and it says Anglicized name 9133 3682 Quebec Inc. That's the name of the company, right? I mean, that's kind okay. of a weird name. Legal address four four three Rue de Cedres, Saint Elzar, Quebec, Canada, Headquarters address, um same address, and it says entity information, entity status, act, active, managing L O U and then it has the name of the something.
2: But once you once you open that up, it doesn't it show your social security number anywhere.
3: No. But it's connected to it. I got to it through my social security. I, I
2: understand that, but
3: yeah, it be it would okay. be in, it would be useful to know more about this. Oh yeah, definitely. I think okay. it's pretty interesting that so. if I put my social security number in, it's connected. It connects me to all these, and then if I click on relation, uh, um, registration authority entity. There's number initial registration date sep- September 18, 2014. Last update, August 19, 2016. Then it says relationship information. I click on that. It says ultimate parent. The ultimate parent is the highest level legal entity preparing consolidated financial statements for the child entity. Direct Ah. parent. The direct parent is the lowest level legal entity preparing consolidated financial statements for the child entity. I I don't know what all this means, but... Well, well, it's,
1: it's worth. Doing doing some research. Okay, so, uh, so I, I don't think it's really related, and we do have somebody that have yeah, their that's hand right. up that needs to talk. So yeah, all right, fine. Right. thank you very much. Sure, okay, California, when your phone mutes and unmutes, it's your turn. So go ahead.
0: Getting you off speaker. Thank you. So, if I'm hearing you right, I've tried to take some notes here. They have monetized our signature, whether it's a credit card or a mortgage loan, medical debt, or whatever. Correct. So, okay, thanks. So then my question becomes what happens when it does get moved on to, to the, so, um, back up a second, referring to student loans. What happens when we do get behind on our payments and they start digging our credit and now they give us the call and go, oh, you're eligible for a forbearance or a deferment or whatever. And you're like breathing easy thinking your credit's going to be better and they're not going to come right. and do the things that you suggested. And then they say, okay, great, you agree to this, we need you to go online and do an e-signature acknowledging that you agree to pay back the money, et cetera, et cetera.
2: But all they're doing is they're having you create another promissory note so that they can sell it again.
0: Okay. They're not
2: advancing anything because there
0: was never any debt to begin with. Okay, that makes sense. So now... I've created another debt with them, so you're saying, let's see, that I would basically have to <laughs> forgive the wording, but go in default or go into collections, not honor that agreement. You're not saying that, but you're suggesting this is a a way to go. Right. Um, yeah, because you guys don't offer legal advice and all that good stuff. But so if I were to go in, so like right now I'm on a six month forbearance, and I thought I was bre- breathing easy because I'm going shoot, I can't afford those several hundred dollar payments. Right. So once. That period lapses, and they're like, "Okay, you're supposed to start paying again." If I weren't to pay and go into collections at that point in time, that's when I would be. Well, seeing you probably them w-
2: wouldn't hear from them until you haven't responded to them for like six months.
0: Then they would Which
2: probably pass it on to a servicer, and you would get a phone call or or or, or a uh, a letter from you know somebody else. But the thing right. is, too. If if they call your cell phone and you haven't given them permission, even though it's a de- a, a servicer for a um for a student loan, that's still a viola- violation of the Fair Debt, I mean the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. Huh. So you let no, them that's call, right. you, uh, you know, you you just hang up the phone when they call and piss them off so that they call more. And then <laughs> what you do is you as you um connect Uh, a little chime that says ka-ching every time your phone rings so that you can realize that, you know, that when that number is calling, it says ka-ching and that's dollars, meaning dollars (laughs) to you. If you fight back, right.
0: What is the name of that um, app, Tom? I don't remember.
2: One of my, one of my, the girls that worked for me showed it to me and I haven't had a chance to uh, do anything with it. I just recently found it, found it, but you may be able to Google it. Uh, a okay, you know, okay. cell phone app to record conversations. Oh, good enough. But it, okay. I think it was. I think the app was. She told me the app was like ten bucks, and you can download it to your cell phone. So then, if you have any kind of debt collector calling you, and or if any number that you don't recognize, um, she said it was as easy as just you know answering the phone and then hitting a button, and they start it starts recording. Okay. So you know now, in if you're living in California you have to, both parties have to agree to the recording. There, But there's probably 75% of the states that are one-party states where you only have to have one party in the conversation know that it's being recorded.
0: So since I reside in California, essentially when that call came through, i I, press, I get the app, i press the button, and then I would say, you know, there's going to be a, I'm sorry, I, I need to record this, is that all right with you? Because there's going to be a lot of information discussed here. And I want well, to make because sure if that it's complaints. a debt
2: collector, they're going to ask the same of you.
0: Okay. Oh, right, right. Okay.
2: Yeah. You know? And if it's a debt collector and you're in California, you have the right to say no.
0: <laughs> but according to you, it, it, would, it, would, um, um, it would be advantageous to go ahead and have that conversation. Or you're saying even if they call and you can show your cell phone records, that's still enough of a record. Right to to get the 5 to 15 or 5 yeah, to 15 Yeah, and the thing
2: is, the thing is what you do is you put together a database. And mm-hmm. in our coaching system, we've got a whole I've got a whole database of how to record uh, I mean how to t- keep track of the calls, uh what to what put to put as far as notes when a call comes in, uh stuff like that so that you can keep track of it. The the key to, to getting the most of money out of these guys is keeping good records. Okay. Uh, I knew of a guy. He wasn't. He didn't go through me to do this. Uh, he went through somebody else. I think it was an attorney. He was called 247 times by uh, the same debt collector. He called his cell phone anywhere from five to ten times a day, every single day. And when it got up to 200 and some, he um, the the attorney he was working with prepared a prepared a complaint, uh, a TCPA complaint, saying you know we're going I'm going, to, I'm going to submit this i'm going to file suit in federal court here's the complaint that i'm going to be filing i'm going to be asking or demanding a jury trial okay and um not only can i get recover the statutory damages of uh, up to you know of over $1000 per phone call which is a, would have been a quarter million i can also get damages from the jury uh you know as punitive damages and other things and uh, if I if I don't hear from you in two weeks, I'm gonna be filing this. It wasn't but I think I think he said I think it was like the next day, he got a phone call. And they agreed to settle out of court for sixty five thousand bucks. Whoa. So yeah. within a within a week, a sixty five thousand dollar check was sent to him by the debt collector. <clears throat> and um you know how much the debt was that the they were trying to collect?
4: Eight hundred dollars eight hundred eight
2: hundred bucks that eight hundred dollar debt cost them sixty five thousand so but all he had to do was threaten to file suit and and they their their attorney said yeah let's let's do it because if they take the court we could, we could end up paying them over a million
0: because wow. of the punitive damage is potentially awarded by the jury, yep in addition to the special. But wow. when you
2: get juries in, in debt collector cases, everybody on that jury has been bugged by a debt collector at one time. Yeah. You know? All right. A, so
1: Okay, so we got a couple more people that are waiting in line here, so we've got to okay. keep going. All thank right. You? Next, yeah, thank you. Next California caller. Your phone just unmuted. Go ahead. Hey, it's Tom? Yeah.
5: Oh, great. Um, uh, I like the call. Very good information. I understand about the debt validation letters to the uh, credit card companies. And from my experience, what happens is they'll continue to mark you late to get that charge off after 180 days. Um, Does your service have any coaching as to what happens after that? Because, you know, the banks quietly may go away, but then you have to fight the credit bureaus. And they're, you know, with their automated dispute system, they don't they don't really do anything. They just keep saying well, verified, verified. One of the things to get
2: past the automated dispute system is to send your dispute in writing, not not typed. Because apparently their computers cannot read handwritten disputes. So then it has to actually go to a person who has to read it and trying to t- determine what to do with it. I see. That's one way to get get past the automated stuff. The other thing is you send them three uh, letters first saying, okay, I'm disputing this information. Then they send you a bag, oh, yeah, we checked it. It's all still valid. Okay, well, I'm I'm requesting, uh, as is my right, I want to know how you determined that it was correct. What did you use as proof? And then if they don't, the third letter is, okay, fine. Uh, I'm still not satisfied. I'm going to be filing in small claims court against you for these issues. And there it's, it's $1,000 for every issue that is incorrect. So if they have two addresses you've never lived at, that's two grand. If they've got other stuff that's in there, you know, and if they haven't been able to validate a debt that's been listed, um, you know, and still proof of, you can, you, you, you can add that. So, you know, you can, and you, do it, you can do it in small claims court really cheaply.
5: But Now, small claims is normally they're going
2: to lose in most cases.
5: For for small disputes, um, uh, the Fair Credit Reporting Act—that's the federal statute. So, would they try to say, "Well, we're going to move it to federal court because you filed in the wrong district"? Have you ever seen them do that?
2: I've seen, I've seen it where they try, and then you say, "Hey, I'm I'm the plaintiff here. I have the right to go to this court."
5: Right, because the and Fair and Credit and Reporting said, Act does say it. Otherwise, it does say a court of any jurisdiction. It doesn't specify right. what court. So you could technically go to any, any court jurisdiction. Okay, yeah, that's it's, my, it's
2: my lawsuit, not theirs.
5: Right, correct. So, so right, because what, what you're saying makes sense, that the debt validation letters are crucial, and that does help. So a lot of the, it
2: has to do with the language you, you use in those debt let, validation letters as well. I mean, if you get something that's just a template that you find online, they're not going to look at it nearly as much as if you personalize it a little bit, right? such as, you know, um, I've been studying the fair debt collection practices act recently. And uh, I found in that act that the definition of a debt collector is such and such. And you, you go to black slot dictionary, you get the definition of of a debt collector. You put that in your letter and and you personalize it. Uh, You know, so you, you can start with a template and then personalize it as much as you can to make it sound like you you know what you're doing you know you've done your research you know and 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 yeah it's my understanding that you know if you violate this this and this I can file suit for this this and this uh, you know and if you don't respond here's what I'm going to do please consider this letter as possible discovery in litigation you know so a lot of it is how you word the the letter and the other thing is most of these People out there, they, they just stick with, oh, just send a debt validation letter. That's all you need to do. But then they don't tell you what to do if they send back a bunch of statements. You know, let's say it's a credit card that you're disputing, they send a bunch of credit card statements. Well, based on the law, that's not proof of debt. That just shows that you had an account with these guys at one point. Okay, but it's knowing what to say in the second letter, and then I even go as far as a third letter. The second letter is a notice of fault, opportunity to cure, that says, hey, on such and such date, I sent you a debt validation letter asking you this, 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 and this. As of this date, you have not properly submitted any proof of this debt that that this debt belongs to me or that you have the right to collect. I'm now giving you three days to respond, and if three days passes, you send them a final default. Now, now you got a three-letter administrative process that's that's been completed that you can now take to court as additional evidence. And 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 after that third one, if you don't get satisfaction, then you file suit. But you let them know in that third follow-up that my next step is to file suit.
0: Now they, but the thing the is, you don't thing. want to
2: threaten it. You just you want to go ahead and do it. And then what you do is you put together a complaint. For violation of the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, uh, or you know the TCPA, Fair Credit Reporting Act, whatever, and you point out these things, and in the complaint, I mean, you <clears> write <throat> it on pleading paper just like you would to file uh, an actual lawsuit, and then up in the top where it says uh, you know case number, you just put to be determined, and this so, this is what I'm going to be filing if you don't do what I've asked, and that. Put in their head this guy knows what he's doing we don't want to go to court because they don't want to go to court with, with somebody that knows what they're doing they don't win and it takes up their time they want to go have back you, to the low low hanging fruit
5: right, but they don't have, to, have you,
2: you know put a ladder up in the tree and, and go after that high stuff
5: right now you had experience with I know um, you mentioned earlier about the agreement you asked for the signed the signed agreement which of course they can't provide because you Correct. explained quite well that they do the application which is of course, not an agreement. Nope. And um, there's been court cases where you know, uh, banks have faced class action for not having the agreement. But then they use what's called account stated. And that's what they're, they're doing nowadays to try to trick the consumer into, into believing that that's valid. What's right, your experience on that is, whole account stated to, theory? You don't
2: have to accept that. The other thing you can do is, is submit a, an affidavit stating, I don't have any debt with you guys. Now, prove otherwise. It's up to, see, here's the thing. When it comes to a debt collector trying to collect from you, it's not up to you to prove the debt is is, is not yours. It's up to, to them to prove it is. You know, I mean, right. you have a debt collector. Okay, well, you know, we can't stop collection unless you send us proof that it's been paid. No, I don't have to prove that it's been paid. You have to prove that it hasn't. You have to prove, first of all, that, that it was a lawful, valid debt. Second of all, you've got to prove that, it, belo- that, it, that uh, it belongs to me and it's my debt. Third, you need to prove that you have the right to collect on behalf of the original creditor. So they got three things to prove. You don't have to prove anything. All you have to do is dispute it. Just like disputing statements made in court by another side's attorney, because everything that uh, the other side's attorney says, everything coming out of his mouth is going to be hearsay. But if you don't challenge it as hearsay, the judge not only can, but he will consider it as fact because he, is in the same brotherhood as the attorney. Right. He, they, they both belong to the same union. It's called the bar. And so that judge, is, I mean, the scales of justice are majorly swayed. They should be equal. You know, when, when the when the, the, the lady of justice holds out those two scales, they're supposed to be equal, but they're not. They're heavily swayed on in, on, on the benefit of the people with money. So what you got to do is you just got to be smarter than them. But it's still up to them to prove the debt. I mean, they're right, going so pro- we- to prove there was a debt, they're going to prove the debt belongs to you, and they're going to prove that they have the right to collect on behalf of the the, of the, right,
5: which which they can't, which they can no. if it's if it's denied and disputed. But regarding the credit bureaus, you're saying that basically the because of the the automated system, the only way to bypass that is to is to handwrite it and then get it in the hands of a human, and then the human has to make a decision based on how many ones they're reading and to say, hey, right. you and know, what I do with this? When
2: they send it back saying, oh yeah, we verified it. Now you have the right to follow up and say, okay, well, send me. How how did you verify it?
5: Right, right. I, I need to yeah, know they... how
2: you verified it. Did you just get a, a fax from the original lender saying that this debt is valid, or did you get a, a an absolute contract showing that it was valid? How did you do that? You know, like with judgments, uh, they they don't um, get any information from the uh, um, from the court. They get information from Lexis which is a third party. That's where the information for judgments comes from. But that's not evidence. It's not evidence of a judgment. It doesn't come from the original party that issued that judgment.
5: So So the person who reads your, your, the human being that reads your written dispute with the credit bureau, they actually have the decision-making authority? Well, they may or they may not.
2: But if they don't, then they have to get it to somebody else that can deal with it. But at least you got it in front of a human. Just like when you, uh, you know, go and check your credit on um, annualcreditreport.com. As part of the documents they send you, they send you a dispute form saying, oh, yeah, fill this out and then, uh, you know, fax it in. You don't ever want to dispute that way. You always want to dispute through certified mail so you have a track record.
5: Right, right.
2: You know, but um, I mean... We start off first with, with uh, you know, when I do it, we, we do a typewritten uh, request to dispute information, okay? Because sometimes we get satisfaction just from by the numbers because they've got 30 days to respond. If they don't, it's going to be taken off. Well, if you know when to dispute some of this stuff, like from uh, around August through uh, December is a great time to dispute entries on your credit report because they're so busy uh, doing running credit reports to uh, issue credit cards for Christmas. So you know, come around October, I mean uh, August through the end of the year, is a great way to challenge stuff on your credit report because they can't get it done in the thirty days that it's allotted to them, just because mm-hmm. of the sheer numbers.
1: All right, so we do okay, have another person that has a uh, that's been waiting. Okay. <clears throat> all right, thank you for that call. Okay, again, California, phone up. Yeah, you. it's I, your turn. I have a
4: uh, a, a, a little comment about uh, when somebody calls Oh, you.
1: no, it's you. Yeah, you show and, up on all the calls and you cause problems. We're
4: not going <laughs> to listen to you. And and, and you want to uh, see if they're recording it because you like to record it. Well, if you're in California, obviously, two parties have to be aware of it. In other right. states, too. So what you say is,
1: "Oh, oh, um, are,
4: are are you recording this call?" And he says, "Yeah, this call is being recorded." I say, oh, so this call is being recorded. Then you've got permission from them and notification that you're recording it.
2: Oh, okay. So that covers California?
4: Just just be No, it covers every state. Just be okay. aware. This Oh, so so this call is being recorded. And you okay. just I told him <laughs> that it's being recorded. If he doesn't hang up, that's his problem. Got it. So no hang up is acceptance to the uh, issue of really being recorded. That's right. Yeah, just okay. pretend like you're afraid. Oh, it's being recorded. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's being recorded. Oh gosh, that's fifteen hundred. Okay, Thank okay you very much.
1: so then if he says no, it's not being recorded.
4: I say, oh no, it's being recorded.
2: Well, nine, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, a debt collector is going
4: to be recording it. Okay. well and they'll say it, they'll say it is, yeah, this call is right. being recorded for is this call being recorded for customer for uh, customer service uh, verification you know they will right. go with it they'll go with it okay t- uh Tom, give me a call when you're done okay, okay. bye Th- thanks for taking this ca- the comment <laughs> all
1: right all right, well, that's it um that's all the people that we've had that have had questions we've actually had a pretty good turnout. So you guys, if you want to work with Tom on some of these issues, uh, um, you contact me through the website at youhavetheright.com. That's Y-O-U, havetheright.com. Or you can email me at kish, K-I-S-H, at mailhouse.com. That's kish, K-I-S-H, at mailhouse.com house dot com so yeah, just go ahead and contact me. We'll go over your particular situation and uh see what we can work out so okay, okay Sounds good, uh Tom, thank you very much, and I think uh I think we'll probably do another call here again real soon, okay, since we labeled this as student loans, it turned out to be much more than that. Right. So, well,
2: like I said, you know, I, I've I've helped people with student loans. I've had success with it, but student loans are no different than any other debt, and that's what people need to understand.
1: Uh, well, you know, perhaps what we can do is talk about car loans. Are you have you do you have experience in getting free and clear title?
2: Um, I have one time. Okay.
1: Uh, but it, it's
2: it's 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 more of a process because you're dealing with security. You're dealing with sure. a car that's that's, uh, you know, secured. So it, it's a little more of a process, but it's not something that can't be done. Okay. So, but I would like to get some more successes with, with auto loans under my belt. Uh, you know, because with repetition comes, uh, expertise. Okay.
1: All right. So you guys, again, check out, you have the Uh, We don't have a a banner ad or link up yet for Tom's service, but uh, we will pretty soon. So hit the contact button and send me a message and let me know what you're dealing with, and we'll see if we can get you on the phone and figure out what we can do. So, Tom, thank you very much for being here, and we will talk with you again soon. Okay, sounds good. All right, good night, everybody.